You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning again. So glad to welcome you to Lima Community Church today. Thanks for being here to worship with us. What a great time of worship we've had already today. We're so glad that you're here. Well, we start a new series today, Transformed. And the series is gonna lead us through the rest of the Lent season uh, up to Holy Week and Easter Sunday. And our prayer for this series, as you just saw in that video, is that as we journey together through Lent, God would be transforming us more and more into the people he hopes for us to be. And of course, we know that this requires our cooperation with God. And today's scripture passage illustrates that so well. But before we dive into a passage from Luke chapter 13 that we're gonna look at today, I wanna do a a little survey of God's character through a couple of uh, possibly familiar Old Testament stories. As As I prepared to preach this week, there were these passages that just kept coming to my mind that uh, were, were so much in conversation with the passage that we're gonna look at. Uh, does that ever happen to you as you're reading scripture? You just think of other, you know, you're reminded of other places where you see, uh, you know, the character of God, the characteristics of God, whatever it might be. And that's what was happening to me as I was preparing to preach this week. It brought to mind these passages that remind us who God is. And I want to briefly just look at a couple of those to provide a little bit of context for the parable that we're going to read a little later. So do you remember the story of Jonah? The story has some very memorable uh, parts to it, a a fish eating Jonah and then uneating him. I tried to think of a... uh, tactful way to say that in church. Somebody after first service said you could just say regurgitating, and I guess that's probably fine too. Uh, But do you remember what was happening behind the scenes in the story? What was happening in the backdrop of the story? How the city of Nineveh was an excessively wicked city, and how God planned to bring severe judgment on the city of Nineveh. And then as you read through the story, this amazing thing happens the people of Nineveh repent. And when they repent, we read in Jonah chapter three, it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. I thought about a story earlier in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 32. Do you remember what happened when the people got tired of waiting on Moses to come down from the mountain? You remember they were, they were impatient, they were tired of waiting. And so they went ahead and just built themselves a God. And God was so frustrated with this golden calf. He was so frustrated that the people of Israel weren't willing to be a little bit more patient. God told Moses to leave him alone so his anger could burn against the Israelites and he could consume them. This is a frightening picture. It's an awe-inspiring picture of God's judgment, of God's righteousness. God uh, just deciding, I want my anger to consume the Israelites. I'm so upset. 
But Moses goes to God and he says, God, you've brought them through so much. Don't give up now. And in response to, to Moses's plea, Exodus 32, 14 says, the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Those are two instances that for me came to mind very quickly about times when God had planned some sort of judgment, judgment that was deserved, but ended up changing his mind once in response to the repentance of the people and once in response to the plea of his servant. And there's other instances of this happening in the Old Testament as well. There's a story recorded in both books of Chronicles and in 2 Samuel. There's instances in the prophets, in Amos and Jeremiah, in which God relents. God shows mercy. So today we're going to read a passage from Luke that begins with a narrative, uh, just a little story that takes place in the life of Jesus. And it ends with a parable that Jesus tells. And when we get to the parable in particular, I want us to have this image of God in our minds. A God who is a mighty and righteous judge, but also a God who shows mercy to his people. Last week, Bob Skinner, who spoke for Faith Promise, he, he illustrated this really well. Do you remember? He said, he said, God, you don't mess with him but he's intensely personal and he cares. It's this, uh, it's this tension that we hold. I want that to be the image in our minds as we go into this passage in Luke chapter 13. We're gonna read the first nine verses of Luke 13 and we're gonna start just with verse one. It says, at that very time, there were some present who told him, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now I wanna stop right there because the way this verse is worded, it might not be in entirely clear what has happened. So I wanna to try to bring a little bit of clarity. First of all, as we read through this portion of Luke and really as we read through all of Jesus's ministry recorded in the gospels, what we see is that Jesus had an itinerant ministry, that Jesus was leading a ministry where they traveled around the countryside and uh, he's got his followers with him and they would get to a town and they'd, they'd stay in that town for a little bit. They might stay with some friends and family. And, and during the time that they were in these little towns, Jesus would, would kind of set up shop and he'd do some teaching and he'd do some preaching and he might do some healing and some other miraculous things. But this is what Jesus's ministry looked like. And in this particular portion of Luke, Jesus is specifically leading his disciples to Jerusalem. So that's the journey they're on right now is they are on their way to Jerusalem. This is why we're reading this during the season of Lent because we're working our way to the cross and to the resurrection. And so Jesus is, is uh, leading his uh, his disciples through these different towns. And one of the things we see Jesus do all the time is interact with the people who are listening to him. And, and uh, if you read just a few chapters before this, there's a place where somebody in the crowd just shouts out to Jesus, teacher, would you tell my brother that he's supposed to, to split the family inheritance with me? And Jesus in classic Jesus fashion, 
he doesn't answer the question. He doesn't give them like a simple solution, but he tells them a parable. And then he lets them try to interpret and kind of glean what they might learn from that. But Jesus has this, this model where he allows the crowd to interact with him and then he, that's how he determines what he's gonna talk about. Now, I wanna tell you that we are not gonna implement this model here. I love to interact with all of you, but I'm, not, I'm gonna stick with just what I've prepared. I don't really want questions and then I'll do a parable. Like Jesus, really good at that. Brad, eh, probably not, probably not gonna nail it. So we're just gonna stick with what I've got ready today, okay? So in this first passage, this is what we see happening. Jesus is, is uh, standing with his disciples. He's about to do some teaching and people in the crowd are interacting with him. And what they are doing is they, they give Jesus a news bulletin. So I, wanna, I want you to picture that their phone buzzes in their tunic, okay? They reach in their tunic, they look at their phone, and they have a notification from Facebook because we all know that Facebook is the place where it's a reliable source for news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So they, they get, they, they've gotten this update and they want to share with Jesus what this update is. The news that they share with Jesus is that Pilate, who is the governor of Judea, had mingled the blood of Galileans with their sacrifices. What in the world does this mean? Well, this is what it means. Jews from Galilee had traveled to Jerusalem to make their sacrifices in the temple. This would be a very customary thing for Jewish people to do. They traveled to Jerusalem to make their sacrifices in the temple. And Pilate, who is a Roman official, not a Jewish official, Pilate sent soldiers into the temple and he slaughtered the people who were there to worship so that as, as they were murdered, their blood flowed with the blood of the animals that they were there to sacrifice. This is a horrific thing that happened. Now we know a little bit about Pilate. We know that a little later in the story, Pilate plays a role in the death of Jesus as well. What, what is not totally clear just in scripture is that Pilate was just a wretched person. He was an evil leader and he especially made life difficult for his Jewish subjects. Um, there's all sorts of, uh, of contemporary uh, historians outside of scripture who corroborate this image of Pilate. There's a story of Pilate raiding the uh, offering from the temple and using it to build an aqueduct in, uh, in that area. And the, uh, the Christians, the, the Jews, they weren't Christians yet, the Jews at the time uh, recognized that this is not what the temple funds were for. They, they organized an uprising and Pilate just wiped them out mercilessly just murdered the entire uh, uprising. This is who Pilate was. This is the image that we have of Pilate. And this is what the people in the crowd are sharing with Jesus. And I want, uh, as I always try to do, I wanna point out how important it is to understand what's happening around the story, all of the context that's going on here. So the update that they share with Jesus is that in Jerusalem, Pilate just murdered a band of Galilean travelers. Now, who is Jesus leading right now? 
He's leading a band of Galilean travelers. And where is he leading them? He's leading them to Jerusalem. Do you see the problem here? (laughs) Imagine the fear that must have overcome the disciples. Jesus told them from the very beginning, if you choose to follow me, this is a different kind of kingdom and the world is not going to understand it and your lives will be at risk. But now the rubber meets the road. Now the disciples hear this update and, and they say, wait a minute, people, people like us are being slaughtered for doing the things that we are doing. This is, this is a scary time. You know, it also ought to tell us something about how committed the disciples were to Jesus because on they marched. Now, why are the, the people in the crowd, why are, they, why are they sharing this news with Jesus? Why is it important to share this little update with him? Well, I think there's a couple possibilities. One of them is the one that's, that's rather obvious. They probably want Jesus to know about the danger that, that lies ahead. You know, they've, they've witnessed his ministry. They think that he's doing a good work. They want to say to him, do you, do you realize that there's a group just like you that was just in Jerusalem and it did not end well? And you may wanna reconsider whether you want to keep going down this road. And I think there's something to that. But there's another reason that they are asking this question or that they're bringing this issue up with Jesus. And we only know that because of how Jesus responds. And so we gotta read on in Luke chapter 13 in verses two through five, look at Jesus's response. He asked them, Do you think that because the Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or Jesus said, those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. So Jesus's response assumes a question from the crowd. He assumes that that in sharing this news, they are asking him this question. Did these people die because of their sin? Did they die because of the condition of their hearts. And this is a question that Jesus is accustomed to answering. In John chapter nine, the disciples come across a man who's blind and they say, Rabbi, who sinned that caused this man's blindness? Was it him? Was it his parents? What has happened? Why is this man blind? And there's a very widely held idea that any sort of, uh, of even earthly suffering was a result of personal sin, a result of sin that someone had committed. And Jesus uses this opportunity to dispel this notion in Luke. Now, this is an idea that I don't think um, has gone completely away. And if you don't believe that, just look at the response of some prominent Christian figures in the wake of things like 9-11 and Hurricane Katrina. We're still, still dealing with the myth that Uh, personal sin causes our suffering. 
And I just wanna point out that in this passage right here, Jesus does away with the idea. There's all sorts of other evidence in scripture that that's not a true idea, but Jesus does away with it right here. Right, right here. He uses the opportunity to say, wait, uh, those who Pilate murdered, were they worse than any other Galileans? Jesus says, no. And unless you repent, you will perish just like they did. And then he brings up this other issue, this tower that fell in Jerusalem and killed 18 people. And Jesus says, were they worse than anybody else? Did the tower fall in a certain direction toward the most sinful part of town? Jesus says, no, that's not what happened at all. And unless you repent, you will perish as they did. These two examples uh, I, think, I think Jesus uses them very intentionally because they are categorically different. Do you see how they're different? This one is human evil. The evil of Pilate's heart caused this one injustice. This other one is, is what we would call natural evil or maybe even more simply just an accident, right? This tower that fell in Jerusalem and killed 18 people. And in both cases, Jesus is clear he says, those who perished were not being divinely punished for something. Regardless of what your insurance policy might say, these were not acts of God. And so the picture that Jesus paints in this portion is a God who is a righteous judge. In this portion of the passage, Jesus paints a picture of a God who says, unless you repent, you will perish. And then Jesus tells them a parable. Let's look at it together, verses six through nine. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And the gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Now, Jesus, Jesus is not in the habit of using parables as segues. He's not looking for a, a chance to change the subject. Jesus is using a parable in this case, just like he does in other cases where there's a topic at hand that he wants to teach about. And he says, I've got a story to tell you about this topic. In this case, the topic at hand is that God is a righteous judge, that those who do not repent will perish. That's the topic that is being discussed. And the question is, what else does Jesus have to say about it? What does his parable say about that topic? Well, this parable seems to me to paint a picture of God as another kind of judge, a merciful one. And so when I hear the cry of the gardener, I hear Moses. When I hear the, the gardener ask for another chance for the fig tree, I hear Amos and Jeremiah and Jonah pleading with God, don't, don't bring this calamity on your people. Don't cut the fig tree down. Let me, let me nurture it. Let me fertilize it. Let me see to it. And, 
And I see a God who is merciful, who is responsive to their request, who hears the cries of his people and responds to them. In the parable, all the landowner cares about is what the tree has done up to now. Everything's based on the tree's past performance. It's never produced any fruit. Why, why should it keep taking nutrients from the soil? It's never done anything. But the gardener sees hope. The gardener says, let me, let me tend to it and maybe fruit will come. Let me nurture it and fertilize it. And it might need some pruning, but let's give it a chance and maybe there will be a change. You know, we talk often about the things that we have to hold in tension as people who follow Jesus. And here is another one, just as we talked about at the beginning of the service with Bob Skinner saying, this God who you don't mess with and this God who is intensely personal and loving. Here is this God that we hold in tension, a righteous judge who, who desires for us to repent. And if we don't repent, we perish. And a merciful judge who gives us every chance to repent. Do you know what scripture says about God's desire regarding our perishing? It's that not one would perish. That's what scripture says. And so as we begin a series on being transformed, we start with the recognition that to be transformed into who God wants us to be requires our repentance. To be shaped and molded into his likeness, we must turn from our own way and follow him. You may have noticed a little earlier that we, uh, we didn't have our customary time of pastoral prayer. And we did that intentionally today because we wanted to save some time now to pray together. We wanted to save some time for the end of the service because we recognize that there may be some here who need to repent today. There may be some here who have never repented before. And it may be that today is the day that you would want to do so. Or there may be some who have repented before and who are dealing with a habit or a sin in your life that you need to turn away from. That's what it means to repent, to turn away, to walk in a different direction, to change. Maybe you feel like a tree that isn't producing much fruit, that you can repent. You can you can care for, you can nurture, you can prune a little bit in your life. You know, the good news is that God, God doesn't view you like the, guard, like the landowner viewed the tree. God doesn't view you based on your past performance alone. God sees what can be. He sees what can be. He has hope and he believes the best in each one of us. I invite you to stand with me now and we are gonna just have a, a brief time of prayer. If you'd like to come to the altar and represent a need in your life or the life of somebody you care about, certainly would invite you to do that now. You can go ahead and come as we pray. God, we agree with the words of this song that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us where there is Nineveh in us. God, help us to see when we have 
when we've been disobedient, when there are things of which we must repent, reveal them to us through your spirit. God, we thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for the reality that you have not treated us as our sins have deserved. But while we were yet sinners, you died. Lord, we thank you today for salvation, for transformation, for hope through Jesus. Lord, for the troubles that surround us uh, here close to home and all around the world, we pray for your spirit to come. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may we surrender more to you. As we walk through our weeks this week, may we walk closely with your spirit. May we be guided by your spirit. May you give us discernment and conviction. May you give us eyes to see the world as you see the world, we pray. Lord, as we sang at the very beginning of this service, we are here to praise the Lord. Regardless of our circumstances, whatever may be happening, we pray that you would help us to dream and to dance and to bring our praise to you, the only God who is worthy. We love you. We thank you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.